0: chapter twenty four of the herapath property by j s fletcher this librivox recording is in the public domain cold steel the two men who formed what one may call the alien and impartial audience at that table were mutually and similarly impressed by a certain feature of barthorpe herapath's speech its exceeding malevolence as he went on from sentence to sentence his eyes continually turned to mr tertius who sat composed and impassive and listening and in them was a gleam which could not be mistaken the gleam of bitter personal dislike mr halfpenny and professor cox raythwaite both saw that look and drew their own conclusions and when barthorpe spat out his last words the man of science turned to the man of law and muttered a sharp sentence in latin which no one else caught and mr halfpenny nodded and muttered a word or two back before he turned to barthorpe even supposing mind i only say supposing even supposing you are correct in all you say and i don't know that you are he said what you have put before us does nothing to prove that the will which we have just inspected is not what we believe it to be we at any rate the valid will of jacob herapath you know as well as i do that you'd have to give stronger grounds than that before a judge and jury i'll give you my grounds answered barthorpe eagerly he bent over the table in his eagerness and the old lawyer suddenly realized that barthorpe genuinely believed himself to be in the right i'll give you my grounds without reserve consider them I'll check them off point by point. You can follow them. First, it was well known, to me at any rate, that my uncle Jacob Herapath had never made a will. Second, is it not probable that if he wanted to make a will, he would have employed me, who had acted as his solicitor for fifteen years? Third, I had a conversation with him about making a will just under a year ago, and he then said he'd have it done and he mentioned that he should divide his estate equally between me and my cousin there fourth mr burchill here absolutely denies all knowledge of this alleged will fifth my uncle's handwriting as you all know was exceedingly plain and very easy to imitate burchill's handwriting is similarly plain of the copperplate sort and just as easy to imitate sixth that man across there is an expert forger i have the account of his trial at lancaster Assizes. the evidence shows that his work was most expert is it likely that his hand should have lost its cunning even after several years seventh that man there had every opportunity of forging this will with his experience and knowledge it would be a simple matter to him he did it with the idea of getting everything into the hands of his own daughter and defrauding me of my just rights since my uncle's death he has made two attempts to see burchill privately why to square him of course And mr tertius who had been gazing at the table while barthorpe went through these points suddenly lifted his head and looked at mr halfpenny his usual nervousness seemed to have left him and there was something very like a smile of contempt about his lips when he spoke. "'I think, Halfpenny,' he said quietly, "'I really think it is time all this extraordinary farce, for it is nothing less, came to an end. May I be permitted to ask Mr. Barthorpe Herapath, a few questions?' "'So far as I'm concerned, as many as you please, Territus,' replied Mr. Halfpenny. "'Whether he'll answer them or not is another matter. He ought to.' "'I shall answer them if I please, and I shall not answer them if I don't want to,' said Barthops sullenly. "'You can put them anyway, but they'll make no difference. I know what I'm talking about.' "'So do I,' said Mr. Tertius. "'And really, as we come here, to get the truth, it will be all the better for everybody concerned if you do answer my questions. Now, you say I am in reality Arthur Wynne, the father of your cousin, the brother-in-law of Jacob Herapath what have you said about arthur john wynne is unfortunately only too true it was true that he erred and was punished severely in due course he went to portland i want to ask you what became of him afterwards you say you have full knowledge you mean what became of you afterwards sneered barthorpe i know when you left portland you left it for london and you came to london to be sheltered under your assumed name by jacob herapath no more than that asked mr tertius that's enough answered barthorpe you left portland in april eighteen ninety seven you came to london when you were discharged in june of that year you'd taken up your residence under jacob herapath's roof and-it's no use your trying to bluff me i've traced your movements with the aid no doubt of mr burchill there observed mr tertius dryly but burchill drew himself up sir he exclaimed that is an unwarrantable assumption and unwarrantable assumptions mr burchill appear to be present in great quantity interrupted mr tertius with an air of defiance which surprised everybody don't you interrupt me sir i'll deal with you before long in a way that will astonish you now mr barthorpe herapathy went on Turning to that person with determination, I will astonish you somewhat, for I honestly believe you really have some belief in what you say. I am not Arthur John Wynne. I am what I have always been, John Christopher Tertius, as a considerable number of people in this town can prove. But I knew Arthur John Wynne. When he left Portland, he came to me here in London at the suggestion of Jacob Herapath. I then lived in Bloomsbury. I had recently lost my wife. I took Wynne to live with me, but he had not long to live. If you had searched into the matters more deeply, you would have found that he got his discharge earlier than he would have done in the usual course, because of his health. As a matter of fact, he was very ill when he came to me, and he died six weeks after his arrival at my house. He is buried in the churchyard of the village from which he originally came in Wales, and you can inspect all the documents relating to his death and see his grave if you care to. After his death, for reasons into which I need not go, I went to live with Jacob Herapath. It was his great desire, and mine, that Wynne's daughter, your cousin, should never know her father's sad history, but for you she never would have known it, and that is a plain answer to what you have had to allege against me now sir let me ask you a plain question who invented this cock-and-bull story you don't reply readily shall i assist you by a suggestion was it that man who sits by you burchill? for burchill knows that he has lied vilely and shamelessly this morning burchill knows that he did see jacob herapath sign that will burchill knows that that will was duly witnessed by himself and by me in the presence of each other and of the testator god bless my soul exclaimed mr tertius thumping the table vehemently why man alive your cousin margaret has a document here which proves that that will is all right a document written by jacob herapath himself bring it out my dear confound these men with an indisputable proof but before Peggy could draw the packet from her muff burchill had risen and was showing signs of retreat and barthorpe now pale with anger and perplexity had risen too and he was looking at burchill mr halfpenny looked at both men then he pointed to their chairs hadn't you better sit down again he said it seems to me that we're just arriving at the most interesting stage of these proceedings burchill stepped towards the door i do not propose to stay in company in which i am ruthlessly insulted he said it is of course a question of my word against mr Tertius's. we shall see as for the present i do stop said barthorpe he moved towards burchill motioning him towards the window in which peggy and mr tertius had spoken together here a word with you but burchill made for the door and Mr. Halfpenny nudged Professor cox Raythwaite. "'I say, stop!' exclaimed Barthorpe. "'There's some explanation.' He was about to lay a hand on the door when Mr. Halfpenny touched the bell, which stood in front of him on the table. At a sharp sound, the door opened from without, and Burchill fell back at what he saw, fell back upon Barthorpe, who looked past him, and started in his turn. Great Scott, said Barthorpe, police. Davidge came quickly and quietly in, three other men with him, and, in the room from which they emerged, Barthorpe saw more men, many more men, and with them an eager, excited face which he somehow recognized, the face of the little Argus reporter who had asked him in Selwood for news on the morning after Jacob Herapath's murder. But Barthorpe had no time to waste thoughts on triffitt he suddenly became alive to the fact that two exceedingly strong men had seized his arms that two others had similarly seized burchill the pallor died out of his face and gave place to a dull glow of anger now then he growled what's all this the same for both of you mr herapath answered davidge cheerfully and in a businesslike fashion I'll charge both you and Mr. Burchill formally when we get you to the station. You're both under arrest, you know, and I may as well warn you. Nonsense!" exclaimed Barthorpe. "Arrest on what charge? Charge will be the same for both," answered Davidge coolly. "The murder of Jacob Herapath." A dead silence fell on the room. Then Peggy Wynne cried out, and Barthorpe suddenly made a spring at Burchill. "You villain!" he said in a low, concentrated voice. You've done me, you devil. Let me get my hands on. The other men, Triffid on their heels, came bustling into the room, obedient to Davage's lifted finger. Put handcuffs on both of them, commanded Davidge. Can't take any chances, Mr. Herapath. If you lose your temper, the other gentleman... It was at that moment that the other gentleman took his chance. While Barthorpe Herapath had foolishly allowed himself to become warm and excited burchill had remained cool and watchful and calculating and now in the slight diversion made by the entrance of the other detectives he suddenly and adroitly threw off the grasp of the men who held him darted through the open door onto the stairs and had vanished before davidge could cry out davidge darted too the other police darted mr halfpenny smote his bell and shouted to his clerks but the clerks were downstairs out of hearing and the police were fleshy men slow of movement while burchill was slippery as an eel and agile as an athlete moreover burchill during his secretaryship to jacob Parapath, had constantly visited mr halfpenny's office and was as well acquainted with its ins and outs as its tenant he knew where in those dark stairs there was a side stair which led to a private door in a neighboring alley and while the pursuers blundered this way and that he calmly slipped out to freedom and in a couple of minutes was mingling with the crowds in a busy thoroughfare safe for that time then davidge cursing his men and his luck took barthorpe herapath away and Trivett rushed headlong to fleet street seething with excitement and brimming with news End of chapter 24